Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is a very special uh, one. His name is uh, Majun Eris, uh, the Utspa guy. He's an author and speaker. And of course, his last book uh, is the Utspa Advantage. Mason, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. It is truly a pleasure to be here. And uh, I love the international aspect of your audience. Thank you very much. Uh, it's it's great to have you here. And also, uh, your book is endor- endorsed by a previous guest. Uh, his name is Vern Arnish, uh, the founder of um, EO and uh, also the, the CEO of the Scaling Up uh, organization. Uh, and today we'll have kind of a different format. We will try to be much more flexible because we want to leverage all the content and amazing stories that you have put it together um, with your uh, Utspa Advantage uh, book. Uh, namely, we will learn a bit more about the acronym behind the, the, the term and all the behaviors that leaders of, uh, of companies that want to keep scaling and growing might uh, benefit from, from it. And I'm sure they will. So, but before talking too much about that, uh, I'd love you to introduce yourself and let the audience get to know you better. Sure. Thank you, Mike. Again, um, again, my name is Mason Harris. I'm an author, a keynote speaker, and uh, I work with uh, some companies in terms of helping to create a culture of chutzpah in their organization. So I'm sure some people in the audience are thinking, did I hear that correctly? Chutzpah? I'm not quite familiar with that. Well, chutzpah is actually a word with a Yiddish origin. Um, And it is, or at least I found in my research, that one doesn't have to know Yiddish or be Jewish to be familiar with the word because it has permeated cultures, uh, language all around the world. And when I say the word, if you aren't completely familiar with it, that's fine. Most people have difficulty defining it. When I think of chutzpah and the definitions that I obtained from my interviews, they're across the board. One of the key things in the research though is chutzpah has both negative and positive connotations, which makes sense to me because chutzpah is actually, as I see it, a skill set, a set of behaviors and personality characteristics that enable one to exceed what would be considered average by a very wide margin. And it can be used for good or for bad. So, for example, if you and I were to sit and decide, you know, we want to get into software programming. This isn't the level of our audience yet, but it's an important clarification. We both take a course in, in writing code. And you leave that course and you decide you're going to create algorithms for healthcare or business applications, or even personal software to enhance people's enjoyment of life. I, however, take a different approach. I decide I'm gonna create ransomware. It's the same skill set that allows both of us to write this code, but I choose to use it for bad purposes, to benefit only me without any regard for the people that are hurt by it. So again, like any skill set, chutzpah can be used for good or for bad. 
That's that's really awesome, and that's definitely sometimes a, a difficult word to pronunciate depending on where you are where we are coming from. Uh, but I think I'm I'm doing a good job <laughs> pronunciating it so far. Thank you, uh, Mason, for uh, helping me out with that. And um, and I, I really like also the the bolder component of this kind of attitude, right? So the kind of people that are able to go through um, the good and challenging things that happen uh, in life and bring some utzpah uh, into the equation to, to get stronger and, uh, and, and to succeed. And we all know that uh, in every single entrepreneurial journey, and especially in entrepreneurs that are trying to double and triple their revenues every single year, there are very uh, stressful moments where you might be considered the best of the best. And the, uh, one quarter later, uh, you might be considered the, the worst of the worst. <laughs> so so that, that's, that, that's definitely a, a good point. So we always discuss on the show three critical ingredients to scale a company. Uh, number one, radical focus. Um, number two, world-class leadership. And number three, we have been iterating uh, on this one, but we have been at the culture of execution. And because culture is also included in the number two world-class leadership, we have finally iterated it to the execution machine. And it's much more uh, related with the rituals and and the rhythms. But today I would like to, as as I said in the beginning of the show, I would like to make it a little bit more flexible and really double down, uh, as we like to say in the in the industry, uh, in the Utspa acronym, and and learn from the different key behaviors uh, that you have uh, blended together in in the term. So could you give us a little bit more of a overview about the Utspa uh, meaning? Absolutely. But I also would like to add, you're 100% correct in terms of the, the becoming bigger, uh, making bolder moves, doing better, which is an objective for all of us sitting here. Now, the chutzpah advantage is a promise both to individuals, so say employees within an organization, but also from a leadership, leadership perspective. And I know that every one of our listeners has chutzpah. They may not be able to define it yet, but they have elements, they have these behaviors in place. Otherwise, they would not be leading organizations that are trying to, to grow two, three, five, ten times where they are over a set period of time. So there's an element of encouraging and creating a culture of chutzpah in an organization, which helps one achieve those multiples of growth. As far as the acronym, uh, and uh, what I tried to do to make this more memorable and easier to implement, and I'm going to try and keep um, our examples for the most part at the leadership level, but there mm -hmm. will be some examples that, that come in at the personal level uh, so that we can see how it still relates, so that it's appropriate both for those in our company who are implementing the ideas, who are critical to the development of our companies, our organization's success, as well as the leadership that's separating itself from the others. So Sounds great. each of the letters of chutzpah stands for a different behavior or characteristic. So the C, when we think about people and even organizations that get stuck, 
take the, the uh, actually Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, mm-hmm. identifies organizations that are all at roughly the same level of success, tracks them and follows what happened to them over time, how do they go from being good organizations to great organizations, and what are some of the characteristics that made that difference? Well, a key one related to the C is the expression carpe diem, which isn't as familiar here in the States, but I'm sure in Europe, uh, the education <laughs> and, the, and then the multiple languages that you all speak, carpe diem is seize the day, or seize, really seize the day. In some cases, people refer to it as seize the moment. From a corporate standpoint, that works on several levels. We've just, well, we, we haven't evolved. We're still in the midst of this COVID pandemic. Mm-hmm. Things are changing. Some organizations have done a considerably better job of adapting and pivoting from where they were. Undoubtedly, COVID impacted virtually all of us. Yet in, for example, I was speaking with somebody from a dance studio of all places. And dance studios are frequently franchises. And once COVID hit, the dance studios were closed. And what this specific dance studio did was they recreated all they were doing with the lessons, reached out to their clients, and did things online. They were able to do personal lessons virtually, encourage people along, watch as they dance, provide the music. That's an example of pivoting. In the business we're in, the coaching business, we mentioned Vern earlier. Vern's, Vern had already started integrating virtual presentations in his live meetings, but he had to go from live completely being shut down to completely virtual. And he made that change better than anybody I saw in the industry. And I do a lot of work in the events industry because I'm a public speaker. And so many of them froze. They were dependent. They waited for things to happen. So carpe diem, that first behavior, says we are going to change what we're doing. We are going now. We can't wait for the future to give us more clues because we may not be around if we don't make the move quickly. Seize the day. The opportunity is here. Pivot when we have to. That's carpe diem. That's the first behavior. I love it. That's that's really a, a good one and kind of connects very well with the, I would say even with the execution machine, right? So when there is some ambiguity or some stress, it is always good to get back to our rituals, to our framework. Uh, it doesn't mean that we will kind of think in the same way, but something will give us some some a solid um, stability to think about new ways of dealing with the problem that comes. So I'm thinking about the execution machine as about, you know, uh, even if we are in the pandemic or not in a pandemic, if we can meet in person or not in person, let's do our dailies, our weeklies, our monthlies, our quarterlies, and let's come up with, with solutions for the issues that come up on those uh, tools. So we might be facing change, but at the same time, we still feel some familiarity with, uh, with the rituals that we run them in the, in the same way. So, and the H. Sure. 
The H, and, and actually I, I like the example you gave in terms of maintaining what's familiar while knowing we have to adapt. So you couldn't, we may not have been able to do those morning meetings in person, but we could do it virtually. It's not the way we want, but it's better than just saying, you know, let's just send each other emails when we need to keep each other updated. That ability to see our colleagues, to listen to ideas and respond, react immediately, that was critical. So that was Absolutely. a differentiator. The H, the H stands for something we are always familiar with. There's not any idea, good or bad, that doesn't generate objections. So the H is about learning to handle objections. So if we're thinking about product or development, we want to introduce a new service in our fintech company. The idea pops up. If everybody is going, oh yeah, that's a good idea, let's proceed, I'm a bit hesitant. That's kind of scary. There should be some objections as to, whoa, have we thought this through? Even people who support it should be saying, what's the flip side of that? What are we missing? Create those discussions, but then learn how to handle those objections as well so that we can truly understand what we need to do moving forward. From a customer perspective, uh, standpoint. We've all been in front of clients who tell us, no, I really don't think I need that service or product that you're offering. Well, if we're good at handling objections, we don't say, well, thank you. Uh, can we follow up with you in a couple of weeks, which the inexperienced uh, business development or salesperson does. Instead, we say, I understand what you're saying. And that's actually a valid point. But can I ask you, when you say that you don't need it right now, I know from our discussion that you're having a difficulty in this area. What is that costing you, as an example? So handling mm -hmm. objections is about learning, one, what the true objection is, and two, it gives you the clues as to now how to build the value, how to create value in what you're doing. Because I know in through my years of sales, training sales teams, training the people in my own companies, uh, how to handle objections and how to close a sale, there are a lot of people, a lot of things that we think are important to the sale, but the most critical is creating value. And you can't create value until you start handling objections because you don't know what each customer values and every customer values something different about your product or service. And uh, what the CEO faces the most is, is definitely uh, objections by all the stakeholders, the investors, the, the team, the customers, the providers, the partners. So it's, it's definitely very important to understand first, to be understood after. So, uh, and, and then find the link that will help us to, to win together. So definitely a, a great one. And uh, you, Sure. The U is about understanding, and this partially comes from handling the objections, partially comes because as business people, our minds sometimes think a bit outside the box. So I'll, I'll give you an example here. I'm sure a couple of us on this call have probably heard of Uber. Okay, so we all know that Uber, in essence, when they first started using their technology, created a system that enabled transportation for many people. But they were getting turned down by PE firm after PE firm 
who didn't understand what it is they were doing. Why is that? Because they interpreted the market as already being fully saturated. What was so different about transportation? We have taxis, we have limousines, we have private car services, we have public transportations, buses or subways or or um, cars that electric cars that travel uh, for commuters. We have even separate buses. And if you were in the San Francisco area, you could see these bus, these organizations popping up, not doing a full public run, but rather a handful of pickups and delivering at a handful of places. So there was no lack of transportation. And people were rejecting Uber for that reason. They even hired uh, one PE company I read about, hired an expert, an expert to say, what's the real value of this opportunity? They believe they're going to be a billion dollar company. Of course, Uber is worth considerably more and at its peak was worth way more than a billion. But they believe it's a billion dollar opportunity. What do you think? Well, this professor, again, the expert, took the approach that, well, the taxi and limousine industry is estimated at only one and a half to two billion dollars right now. Do I think that they're suddenly going to end up with two thirds to half of, half to two thirds of that industry? I don't see it. And what that expert missed was wasn't about the existing market. It was about where could we take this market? How does it grow? Are there, are there customers that are not using existing forms of transportation because it doesn't solve their needs? In the case of Uber, and for me, for people I know, for so many of us, it was about the knowledge, the familiarity, and the comfort of knowing I don't have to drive and look for parking. I don't have to try and find a cab late at night in an area that I'm not familiar with. I can even go and have a couple of drinks with my friends to celebrate our, our latest client without worrying about being... Um, irresponsible and driving home. That was a big piece of the market that they never got. So the U stands for uncovering need, pain, and opportunity. And I, separ and I separate need, pain, and opportunity for a couple of reasons. People have a sense for what they might need. For example, um, uh, everybody loves the medical example or the dental example. You know, I know I need to go in for maintenance. I need to get my teeth cleaned uh, twice a year, maybe three times a year, or I, and I need the x-rays every year or every two years. But I'm too busy to schedule that right now. Well, what happens? That need becomes an urgent pain when suddenly it's like, oh, my tooth is killing me. I have to get in. And I'll take something and within half a day, it's, it's miserable. You can't focus. You can't, can't concentrate. So we all move quickly about getting pain resolved. Some of us are a bit smarter about helping people realize that that need that they expressed, although seem unwilling to, to resolve right now, actually is going to become a pain. Um, and then the last piece is opportunity. Opportunity arises like Uber saying, you know, there's clearly a need. People recognize that as good as taxis and public transportation systems are, they're not there necessarily when you need them. Systems close down at night, the buses or, or subway systems don't run in Washington, D.C. after a certain point. 
When does it become a pain? When I am stuck and it's uh, one in the morning and the concert just ended or the sporting event just ended and there are a line of people waiting to get cat, uh, taxis. And this is where the taxi line is. So that becomes the pain. The opportunity is what Uber created. They said, there is an opportunity to do something different, ride sharing. And forget all the great business advantages they were able to put together. We don't have the investment in vehicles or drivers because they're all owned by somebody else. We have the technology that enables it. Um, I was on, uh, I was doing some work with an executive recruiting firm a couple of years ago and helping out in the sales team. And I went out with one of their more experienced sales reps. And it was a medical technology company that was in need of a senior executive. And the position had been over for six months. And I observed the sales call. I was introduced, of course, and, and for the most part, kept my mouth shut because it wasn't my sales call. I wanted to see how this experienced rep was doing. And he was speaking about the benefits and, and how uh, the company he represented, they're great at finding people. They have a 95% a, a success rate and that uh, they'd love to work with them. And this went on a solid half an hour. Um, and I could see it wasn't going where I would have liked it to go if it was my company. And the rep was finishing up by saying, well, this is great. Would it be okay if I follow up with you in another two to four weeks? Because I know you're looking at other companies. And of course, the person said, sure, follow up. I don't know anybody who, who says, oh, no, don't ever reach out to me again. <laughs> it doesn't happen very often. So, um, Good one. But, right, exactly. Before getting up, I said, excuse me, can I ask a question here? And I asked the client, who was the CEO of the company, I said, the position's been open how long? He said, about six months. I said, so who's been managing the people on that team? He says, oh, we have uh, somebody else who's another executive who's sharing his time, splitting his time. And I said, so the people on the team with the open position, are they really getting managed as effectively as they should? And he responded, well, I'd like to think they are, but realistically, probably not. I said, okay, that's a fair answer. Thank you. And what about the people on his team? Now that his responsibilities are split, what's happening to his team? Are they getting managed as effectively? He said, probably not. And then I said, have you lost anybody on that other team? He said, actually, we have lost two people recently, lower level, but we're in the process of filling those. I said, great. Could you put a dollar value on what it's costing you by not having leadership in both those roles? And he thought, and he came up with a good number. It was a significant number. And I said, well, you've been looking for six months, haven't made a decision. If you postpone this decision another month, just so you know, whoever you bring on board, you're not going to have anybody uh, probably in the roles you want for another six months. It takes that long for the level you want to find the right people. What will that cost you? He goes, my God, I've already got this in place and now I have this. He said, I hadn't thought of it that way. I said, okay, so I just wanted to make sure we understood that the cost of delaying. And again, on behalf of, and I mentioned the firm, we really appreciate being here and um, we'll be back to you sooner than two weeks. <laughs> and that's how we left it. Well, two days later, he called the rep and awarded them the search. 
Um, the it was a, a very good client. The the search the executive they were looking for was in the mid three hundred thousand dollar range. So a nice commission for the company and for the rep. And it happened because when you understand when you help clients understand that that need they recognize is really a pain, and there's an opportunity for them to solve that pain, you can close the deal more quickly. So that's definitely uh, a good one. And uh, we, we have kind of eight letters in the Utspa uh, word. So we have covered three of them, uh, C, carpe diem, uh, H, handling objections, and U, uh, uncovering need, pain, and opportunity. So let's, let's move into the T. Okay. A good segue, thank you. T is about, again, what every one of the leaders listening to the call are at some level. And by that, I mean, they're not afraid of failure, or at least minor fa failures along the way. They're not afraid of people, that, in essence, sometimes we call them now, I love the, the expression, oh, the hater is out there. The ones that are always critical, they're like, you're doing a lousy job. Look, you messed up on this thing. And it was a slight hiccup as opposed to a true mess up. They're out there. So T stands for trailblazers. And trailblazers are those leaders who understand that people will be criticizing them. They have to learn to ignore it. Uh, and they also have to learn to accept some level of failure because we're never perfect. We never make every decision correctly. So trailblazers you don't have to be the person that introduces something so dramatically new. Maybe you're in an industry that's established and you're going to try something different. Um, I mentioned um, Vern's conferences previously. Yeah. In essence, he became a trailblazer because conditions required that companies either decide to stay put and uh, hope to remain viable during this pandemic without even knowing how long it would last, or they pivot to something new. Vern, in a matter of 60 days, his last live conference was canceled, speakers were hired, and suddenly he had a, um, a virtual conference up. And by the way, uh, I think we both know that the attendance grew dramatically from the live to the virtual. So even though the pricing was less, the revenue model wasn't impacted, if anything, Burn grew through this period. Trailblazers, um, let, let's, let's look at Elon Musk for a second, because his name comes up frequently when I speak about chutzpah. We think about electric vehicles. Well, he didn't invent electric vehicles. He was not the Thomas Edison of his day. He was an entrepreneur who, if I remember correctly, wrote and sold his first code. It was a, so a game, a software game, when he was a teenager for $500. And he had experience building, founding, and building companies in different areas. And he saw the future of electric vehicles, was on the board of Tesla. He didn't found Tesla, but realized that this opportunity was too big to ignore so he became a significant shareholder and the chairman of the board, and now he's most closely associated with Tesla, more so than anybody else. But it doesn't stop there. As a trailblazer, he created the Boring Company. 
-hmm. whose projects are going to enable a different means of travel, um, cut through wasted time um, traveling overland or by air, you, by building tunnels. And the tunnels will support other types of uh, community development. There's, there's more that, that the boring company is doing. And now SpaceX. And what was it, about a week to 10 days ago, having the first full civilian flight, uh, civilian mm -hmm. astronauts that were out there. That's what trailblazers do on that highest level. By the way, I also consider Elon Musk to be in a category that I call chutzpah on steroids. <laughs> Most of us on this call, we practice a form of win-win chutzpah. We create companies. We develop leadership talent under us to implement our ideas because we want our client base, our shareholders, our employees, all of our stakeholders and ourselves, we want to do well. We want to win. And the only way we do that is by providing a winning solution for others. So that would be win-win chutzpah versus chutzpah on steroids. There are actually six different types of chutzpah that I've identified and discussed in the book. But that's another, that'll be another uh, call perhaps. Definitely. Uh, and we still have uh, four letters to close the, the word. So we would need to speed up. Uh, so the next is the Z, right? Hey, fortunately, we can speed up. I grew up in New York City, so I can speak. <laughs> um, you may not understand me, but I can do that. Keeping the content, but speeding up. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. We have to accelerate a little bit right now. Z is about uh, what happens to us when we hit roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. We spoke earlier about uh, handling objections. This is a different type of objection. This is a no, not interested, that will never work. No, forget it. So uh, Uber was an example of, and we actually, we all face these types of roadblocks, significant barriers to our success. The Z stands for zigzag. And by zigzag, I mean, there is a barrier. There is a banker, there is a VC firm, there are private, there's a private equity firm that says, Quite honestly, I looked at your proposal and I don't believe this is going to provide the results we're looking for. Thank you. And you get told this time after time after time after time. What do you do? You find alternate sources of financing. You continue searching and eventually you get what you need. You overcome that obstacle. You go over it. You go under it. You go around the sides. But that obstacle, that banker, if it's a financing issue, is not going to stop where you go. Think of how many people we know, particularly in the small business side, they get rejected by their bank, which is the most common uh, source for financing for small businesses. And the first bank and the second bank, the third bank says, no, um, we can't do it. You don't have uh, a way to, to guarantee it or, or be there in case this fails. We can't work with you, we're not risk takers. Okay, so what do they do? Maybe they source on the internet. Maybe they do a fundraise. Those people are practicing the zigzag. They're saying traditional banking. No, well, that's it. I'm going around them. I'm going to the Internet. Uh, and there's also the, 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 the three F's of fundraising, which is family, friends and fools. I'm going to raise my money from them. Um, private equity, venture capital. They all have a lot of decisions to make in front of them. 
frequently were not the decision that they make? Do we give up? Do we persevere? Zigzag is about perseverance. It's about persistence. It's about, I'm going to find a way to turn this no into a yes from somebody else. Okay, the P. Right. Now, hopefully we got through that one more quickly. Yeah, the thank P. you. Um, there is something that drives us all. As individuals, I, I sometimes see it referred to as our North Star as individuals. What is it that guides us when we're in really tough times? Um, on a corporate leadership level, again, let's use the, this, this COVID pandemic. I can imagine, again, we've all suffered at some level. Some industries happen to be in the right place at the right time. If you had founded Zoom as you did X number of years ago, a decade plus ago, and now uh, people were interested, it wasn't a matter of, of two or three or 10 times X. It was a matter of 500 times X in terms of the interest you had. You were at the right place at the right time. But for a lot of us, what helps us get through those roughest times when uh, say you own a chain of restaurants and restaurants were hurt very, very badly. Um, mm -hmm. So many jurisdictions would not allow them to open up. What kept these restaurant owners going, be it a single location restaurant or a chain restaurant? A number, a tremendous amount went under. They closed their doors. Well, the P for me stands for purpose. And actually, I get this, um, there's a book, Man's Search for Meaning, by Viktor Frankl, Frankl, who is actually a Holocaust survivor. He survived Auschwitz, one of the uh, most notorious of the many concentration camps during World War II. And he made observations about people who survived and who didn't survive with him. He says there are two critical elements. Let's put Let's identify them. One is luck. If you have the bad luck to have been selected by a guard for the gas chamber, there's nothing you could do. I don't care how emotionally healthy or physically healthy you are. It was over. Bad luck happens to all of us. Being in a concentration camp is bad luck. But he says the other side is for those people who survive, he could tell or had a sense of who was going to continue surviving, assuming the bad luck didn't interfere, versus who was going to perish. And he says that came down to purpose. If they had a purpose that was beyond the camp, in his case, he said, my purpose to survive was to reunite with my wife, to have that family that we had spoken about. Sadly, his wife perished while he survived, but that purpose helped get him through. And the biggest thing I learned from his book is that we can't control the events around us. We can't control how people treat us or mistreat us in a lot of situations. We can't control the competition, but we certainly can control how we respond to all the challenges that face us. We can throw up our hands. We can whine. We can say, poor, poor me. Or we can say, that's terrible, but how do I turn this into a winning situation? That's where I think our audience excels. We have a purpose that goes beyond a mission statement in a company. And if we can convey our purpose, and the purpose, there are personal purposes, and there are um, organizational or business. It could be our purpose is to leave a legacy. That means create that product, that service, that company that extends beyond us. 
And we need our colleagues, our uh, employees to help get us, get us there, creating this culture that includes purpose in it, that's not a mission statement. We're going to do our best to provide service. Well, whether or not that's true, we're going to be responsive to customers, whether or not that's true. I'm talking about something deeper than that. And that's what the P is in chutzpah. That's awesome. So and I, I will also create a challenge to the audience, which is to look for the other two letters and find out the, the meaning of those. So we have covered six of the eight. So repeating uh, the C stands for carpe diem, the H for handling objections, the U for uncovering needs, pain, and opportunity. The Uber example also helps with the U. The T for trailblazers or trailblazing, uh, the Z for zigzag, and the P for purpose. The ones that will need to come for another show with Mason uh, for you to read the book, uh, it's A for, that stands for ambiguity and H for humility. Mason, would you like to uh, add anything else before we wrap up that you consider would be critical from your experience with Utspa? Uh, um, I would basically just try and sum it up as these eight behaviors and characteristics are not unique to us in the business world or anybody who's interested in self-improvement. Um, hopefully the stories, the examples I give uh, enable people to see them differently and make this chutzpah model, uh, the acronym, makes it more memorable for all of us uh, to implement in our companies, in the company's culture, and in our lives. Uh, I thank you and I thank your audience for paying attention. It's a pleasure. I'm available, obviously, for people reaching out. Uh, I love learning um, new stories of chutzpah and success. That's what makes up my book and will make up future books and podcasts. So I welcome questions and inquiries. Thank you. But before we, we wrap up, I'd like to ask you uh, our favorite question, uh, which is if you'd have the opportunity to meet the younger Mason, let's say 10 years ago, uh, what advice would you offer to your uh, younger self? Or you can just pick a moment in your life. Um, well, aside from showering more frequently as a younger person, but I'll put that aside, <laughs> I would say that don't fear failure. Don't let your life to the younger Mason be guided by your peers, by trying to fit in. There's nothing great about fitting in all the time. Yes, we want our relationships, but by standing out, by stretching boundaries, social, creative boundaries, company boundaries, by, by thinking in terms of, okay, this is what everybody's doing. How do we go all the way to the end and just beyond? We'll enjoy, I would have enjoyed my youth a lot more if I wasn't as worried about fitting in. It's when I discovered the chutzpah side, that stretch the boundaries, be different, that I realized this is a lot more fun. It's a lot more creative. And I can see the results of my work. I can see how productive I now am. And I didn't see that when I was younger. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your time and uh, 
the, the amazing job that you are doing with your with your content and your book. And uh, it was really a pleasure to host you on the show. Thank you, Mike, and thanks to your team as well. Thank you. And uh, as you saw, we had a different show. Uh, hope your energy is completely uh, up and, and ready for the, the day, the evening, whatever is the moment that you are listening to this uh, podcast. We have focused a lot on the world-class leadership components of the free principles for scaling up. And uh, as always, we try to make your life easier and we keep bringing you the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. See you soon and keep scaling.